little intro where we think we're going to hear a song and then we're just on. No. Welcome. Just a little acoustic guitar just to get us warmed up a little bit. Yeah. Grab the uh, hot cocoa I, or whatever, you know. I, I feel like I'm in North Georgia sitting around the campfire with Nathan. Uh, he's got his little guitar going. Uh, and then Bluto from uh, from uh, <laughs> Animal House comes over. I'm just kidding. <laughs> anyway, uh, welcome back to Calling All Beings. I'm your host, DJ. Uh, it's great to be back here uh, because uh, this is a gentleman we've been chasing for months. So uh, uh, my co-host right here, uh, co-creator, co-conspirator of the joint, Money Nathan is here. And the hair has obviously been combed. <laughs> yeah, I need a haircut. I'm getting one tomorrow. But uh, good to be here tonight. Very excited to speak with Dan. Uh, it's been a long time coming. Huge fan of this guy. I mean, who isn't a fan of Dan yes. and everything that he's doing? Uh, just looking for a great conversation. I know we're going to have one. Very excited to see folks in the audience. Uh, you know, if you have questions, put them in all caps. So we can see those uh, and we will uh, get this started shortly. But we want to talk with uh, Deb, too, and catch up with her. Deb, how are you doing? I'm doing great. I actually feel the heat from that fire right now. Mm. <laughs> cozy right deb take the scarf off you're not going to need it indoors but yeah. guess what man guess what who's in the chat party people put your hands together for justin owings mm. look at that yeah how about that there he is yes also uh and scott Gearin, the pararescue legend is in the building but we got to introduce our new the new chat moderator of calling all beans nathan talk mm. to me baby yes julie miss julie farrell been around she's an original gangster people so step back stay away from her car make sure you got a chamois if you're gonna get close to it uh but anyway <laughs> let's bring in our next guest who does know something about uh uh does know something about cars and when he is ahead on the scoreboard you can certainly count on uh him to go to the all corners defense he is uh, an engineer uh at a university he is a tennessean um, I'm hoping that he's seen Sasquatch, but I'm not 100% sure. Party people put those hands together from my man, Dan Warren. What's up, guys? Happy to up, be Dan? here tonight. Good to have you with yes. us. We've been waiting for you, Dan. Hey, I want to give a quick shout out to Jules of the Wood. She is one of the oh. first people on Twitter that was nice to me. So I'll never I'll never forget her because of that. She is a positive source of feedback for everybody. She is very a, a very pleasant person to be in the presence of. She's amazing. She is. I got to meet her at the Floribama uh, meetup, and she is just an absolute delight uh, to be with, hang out with, hear uh, uh, narratives. And also she's, you know, uh, she's a remote viewer. She's an experiencer and someone who's been doing this a long time and is not just dropping in the joint, but she knows what's going down. Uh, also, if you if any of you out there are into all natural shoes, uh, please check out birthdayshoes.com. Uh, Justin Owings, uh, who is in the chat. Uh, I've been reading his blog since uh, 2009 or so and have bought several <laughs> pairs of shoes, like probably 10 <laughs> based on his recommendations of, of different types uh anyway welcome man it's dan warren and let me pass the microphone over let me pass it over to money nathan <laughs> uh man dan all right so let's just get right into it uh what's going on what you doing uh, i know the tiktoks are flying i don't miss those i love them so much but i mean what's happening in your world right now what are you focused on uh what do you see trending you know what are you getting big response to when you're when you're out there in the tiktok tiktok world 
Uh, so stupid videos are what get the best response on TikTok, mm. of course. Anything I do that is uh, like I, I made some videos of me throwing an extension cord because I can wrap it up like a microphone and toss it 100 feet and it'll unravel. And that one got a that one got rave reviews. Uh. So it's always a shock because the ones that I put all my heart and soul into, <laughs> those are the ones that do good on Twitter, but they're not the ones that do good on TikTok. So it's two different demographics. Uh Wow. But as far as things that are going on right now, to me, the biggest event that we've had, the one I made a video about, is going to be the um, Kirsten Gillibrand comments that she had after her town hall, town hall meeting in Manhattan. I felt like that was a pretty, um, pretty big moment in ufology where a sitting senator made the types of statements that she made. Um, and she's got her finger on it. She is not letting it go she's going to be a pit bull and you saw how she responded to the gentleman that uh was she was vetting a couple months ago and he said he didn't really know a lot about us uap so she was like mm, you're about to and you're not <laughs> going to get this unless you give me a report on it so i th i think that's one of the biggest things that's happened in in the last week or two which Let's be honest, it feels at this point in ufology like we're drinking from a fire hose as far as news and updates and articles go compared to just two years ago when it was one a month, two a month. Uh, and it's just ramped up exponentially in the in the recent past. Yeah, I think that's hard for folks to uh, I mean, we're kind of in it day in and day out and we maybe kind of forget that. So I, I'm, it's great to hear you say that. And on the on the Gillibrand thing in particular, what struck me was just. There was no uh, pushback. There was no, uh, this is not something I can talk to you about right now. It was total kind of, I'm into this. Let's have this conversation. This is an okay thing to discuss. I mean, imagine a senator taking that approach to this topic just a few years ago. I, I don't think we would have seen that happen. I think it would have been that, you know, sort of kind of nodding and, you know, if you can just kind of move along and I'm going to get to the next constituent situation there completely vague responses and non-committal yes. uh, exchanges is what I would have expected just a few years ago. Um, one thing that I am always on the lookout for is patterns and mm -hmm. something that I noticed because I can't remember who posted it um, as a uh, comment to my tweet uh, where I posted my video about the G the Gillibrand video um, was that Mike Gallagher, Representative Mike Gallagher said, I'm not going to let it go. Mm -hmm. he, he also said it. So to me, I'm waiting for that third person, which I mean, I haven't listened to all the interviews or all the comments that the congressmen and women have made. But to me, it almost sounds like they've kind of huddled together in the background and said, we're not going to let it go. If you don't let it go, I'm not going to let it go. So they're starting to use similar vocabulary. It could just be a coincidence. I'm not going to say that I have any information that leads me to believe it's a coordinated effort behind the scenes, but it seems like they have all kind of reassured each other that they're going to move forward with this, whatever this is right. and not let go and keep pushing and pushing and pushing. And it's just an exciting time to be in a subject like this because of that. It's unprecedented in my opinion. Yeah. I mean, well, they're not sniping at each other on it. So they could easily use that as a political, you know, jab. Oh, my uh, rival across the aisle, they're into exactly. UFOs. You'd never hear that from any of these folks. Um, you hear the most you'll hear is that I'm worried we're spending money and our attention in the wrong place. But no one is is really saying that this isn't something we should care about or we should give uh, any of our our attention to. So yeah, it's very exciting. And and we had you know Jim Simivan on recently, 
And the Who? way he kind of never uh, heard of him. Yeah, before. just <laughs> some guy you may have heard of, uh, some sort of officer, retired <laughs> officer with some agency. Uh, you know, but he, you know, he reminded us that they've seen a lot of the classified material and that they're really mad about it. You know, oh, yeah, they're, yeah. they're mad that they've been basically lied to. And that's certainly what I've been hearing from from folks that I talk with behind the scenes. And, you know, I think you're right, Dan. They they are laser focused on this. They want some answers. Obviously, we have a lot of things going on in the world and in politics generally right now. So there's a lot of different topics that are vying for attention. But this doesn't seem to be fading away going into the background. Exactly. And I yeah. think we're also at the point where we can stop saying that the UFO topic is a distraction. I feel like it is a legitimate issue. It's a national security issue. It is a safety of flight issue. It is a facilities issue. It is a, secu- <laughs> uh, a safe. What are what are? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Without saying it, let's say. So it, it is a concern and it is a legit concern. So people are start uh, congressmen and women are starting to recognize that and f- they're realizing that we might be behind the ball um, and that they've been had the wool, the wool pulled over their eyes. That's one of my favorite Ross Coldhart uh, comments is when he talks about the media being f- asleep at the wheel, having the wheel, the wool pulled over their eyes. Congress is the same way. They're just mm-hmm. as guilty. They like, um, Dennis Kostinich, who lost his or his presidential run, ended because he saw a UFO. What a different world we live in now. Yeah. From Ohio, he was in a debate and they said, hey, it was stated in a book. And I can't remember the name of the book or the author at the moment um, that you saw a UFO. And he said, yeah, I did. And I couldn't explain it, this, that and the other. And that pretty much tanked his election campaign. And now we have people that are just recently 2020 Kirsten Gillibrand ran for president. I think Marco Rubio did too, if I'm not mistaken. That's correct. And, yes. and they, uh, wait, he couldn't have because Trump was uh, still in. So I think it would have been 2016 yep. when Marco Rubio. He, he, he did. He did. Yeah. He ran he did? in 16. Yeah. 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 Okay. So, so those are current people that have their eyes on the prize and they're, they're openly talking about this subject across the aisle. Nothing else is, like that at this moment everything else is bickering this is one of the only things that they come together on and agree that needs to be something it's something that needs to be addressed it's amazing it's the only thing <laughs> um for those of you out there who are wondering if my head is this fat in person nathan and dan can both confirm that it is but that's you know why we bring on hey what's up so uh dave smethers is in the chat i want to say hello to dave smethers from england you should be in bed sir Mm-hmm. And uh, Tupacabra, our former guest, is here uh, as well. Laura Sosa. So, man, we've got a lot of cool people. Not to mention Justin Owings from Birthday Shoes, man. What's up? Um, but but uh, we did bring on somebody that, that, that doesn't have a fat head, and that's Deb. So uh, go go right ahead. But before we get to Deb, I got to say something to Tupac. Uh, Tupac I'm going to call him Tupac. <laughs> yeah. Hey, is rolling with the homies a reference to Clueless? Because I watched that with my kid just two three weeks ago and man that's that's been going around our house like on repeat recently i love that movie (laughs) get an amen Mm -hmm. yeah actually i had a related question about um i know that you deep dive on what's going on with the politicians uh, current events and i was struck by the implication that legacy programs are still being hidden away and I feel like you would know about at least six of them, right? <laughs> so I feel like, Seven. 
yeah, at least, yeah. right? So I, I'm like, can are you honing in on that? Are you gonna kind of jump on that point when you make this video? Because that's that really struck me. I was uh, like shocked, and I noticed, of course, that now they are going back to 1947. That that's one of the things they're trying to do. And <laughs> okay, so so what are you gonna do with that information? So my answer to that is I'm kind of doing that. Um, there's two different videos. I'm doing a deep dive on one in particular, but the, the other one that I feel like I'm going to uh, try to compile some information about is the Calvine photo and the significance of it. If you guys haven't listened to the UAP Society podcast with Vinny, Chris Lato, and I'm sorry, I can't remember. the. I think it's uh, Carl Crusher, and I've forgotten the fourth fourth person, but Ross Coldhart was on there and he was talking to Vinny about the significance of that photo and that it, he has been led to believe that that is a reverse engineered craft that was being flown out of RAF. And so that combined with the fact that, hey, that happened right after um, the, the Bob, I'm, I, I hate even bringing up Bob Lazar. But right after Bob Lazar happened, mm -hmm. they got a lot of attention at S4. All of a sudden, yeah. we get a picture of the Calvin UFO flying out of RAF, which is coming to be thought of as a reverse, engineer Amer reverse engineered American uh, UFO, UAV. It's, I'm, I'm trying to connect dots all the time. So those are some dots that I'm seeing that I want to investigate a little bit further. So that's, that's been something to me that has kind of stood out. Highly recommend that uh, podcast. That interview is great. What's up, Vinny, man. We got to talk, man, disclosure team all day, man. Uh, <laughs> Vinny is, is uh, definitely a member of cab fam and uh, he has a great show. In fact, uh, he had Dr. Diana Pasolka on as well. And I haven't heard that episode yet. I just messaged him that a while ago, but yeah, I will listen to that. Um, I've had some conversations with uh, Frank Milburn. Um, I've had conversation with uh, Richard Butt on this one, who a lot of people know is right into a lot of things and kind of ransom. And also um, Condor Man. Uh, Condor Man did show a patent for a diamond shaped dirigible technology. As I've mentioned to you guys before, I think there are a lot of technologies that they will apply for a patent on that aren't actualized, but they're they're thrown out there as chaff for intelligence services and so on, like the anti-gravity stuff. Um, you know, obviously we're not seeing, uh, uh, we're not flying around in in our own anti-gravity craft, but um, but it would it would behoove me to put that out there so that the other services have to wonder, oh, there's a Navy patent on do do they have something? Probably not, but they need to look into it. So with regard to that, uh, I've been to RAF Makarhanish. We actually had our uh, ORI there in 2007 when I was stationed in England. So we rented the base from the RAF for that. It's not a secure base. And I cannot imagine why, if I did, if I was flight testing a secret technology, why I would fly it from somewhere like Nevada to Scotland and then fly it in day VMC, which would be day uh, visual meteorological conditions, which means everybody can see it. Um, so I can't figure out why you would do that. I also would wonder, uh, with a craft that's that big, um, you know, if it doesn't have, if it's not dirigible in nature and it doesn't have some omnidirectional propulsion up, down, left, right, 
then how do I make a landing in this craft? How do I steer this craft? I'm going to need ailerons. I'm going to need wings that are proportional to the size of the craft and then horizontal and vertical stabilizers, et cetera, unless it's dirigible. If it's dirigible, that now I can shrink all the control surfaces because it's already aloft. But um, I, uh, I, I don't think it's that, but... Um, so I'll, I'll challenge you to tell me what makes sense in the UFO community. Like nothing makes sense. It's, there's so right. many things that are just contradicting each other. It's so confusing. Well, uh, that, to, to me, you have to show me how it flies. If somebody can tell me how it flies, then I can go. So when I see something like, for example, I saw the uh, uh, that that photo where it's the USS something and there's something that has four lights on it and it looks like a drone. And to me, there's nothing that I see there that I could say that's not a that's not a drone. But, but you now, also can't tell how it's propelled. Like it's true. just not enough but, information. That's a, that's right. a lot of what we got. We have to work with is insufficient right. data. Well, yeah, there are ifs that are involved when the witnesses say, okay, it hovered silently for 10 minutes and then shot straight up in the air silently. Now I'm saying it's not, it's not man-made technology um, because we can't do that now. Uh, so I don't think you could do it then. And if you could do it now, we'd be flying that now. Um, and instead, I know the planes that we're buying and they're just not <laughs> in the realm of, of something. In fact, I got to show you guys one of the newest aircraft we're buying when you see it. Just know that it's called the Air Tractor, and that should tell you something, <laughs> specifically you, Dan. Anyway, uh, let me go with my question that I had for you, Dan, because it's from Christopher Sharp, one of your fans. Oh, awesome. Yeah. I'm a big fan of Chris, too. Yeah, he called me today to get this question in for you um, as I was leaving work. Uh, and just I'm flattered. I'm, 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 I'm so flattered by that. That's cool. Yeah, he, yeah, he loves you, Dan. We all love you. Um, he says uh, he wants to know about how you uh, were able to craft this relationship with Tim Burchett, who uh, he sees as, as certainly an advocate for some for us and somebody that we're really lucky to have. And 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 also and why you you do what so two part question first about Tim and then the second half it'd be about how you came up with this idea for TikTok because he loves it. So the way that I got a hold of Tim is, and by the way, I think his name is pronounced Burchett because Burchett. I have a guy that I work with name whose last name is Burchett. So I'm okay. going with Burchett. Burchett yeah, sounds too French, mm -hmm. too European. I don't think he would say it that way. Agreed. Whenever I get a hold of him, I'm asking for clarification. That's the one, that's the first question I'm asking is how do you pronounce your last name? <laughs> um, but the way that I ended up getting a hold of him is because he actually had two interviews where he openly spoke about the UFO topic. And I made two TikToks about it, basically saying like he is saying exactly what we're saying. Like this is the frustration that we as a community have. And we have a congressman that is saying exactly what we think. So it was it was great to hear it. And I ended up taking screenshots of those two videos printing them out on a piece of paper and then writing, dear representative Burchett, I am going, uh, I, I appreciate you making these statements that you have. I am, uh, I've, I've made these videos. If you want to check them out, go check, check them out here on TikTok or I've got them on YouTube now. And I would like to talk to you about this more at some point and just see what your thoughts are. So at that point, I didn't expect anything to happen. I sent it in. I sent it to the Washington, the Knoxville and the other. There were three offices, office addresses that he had posted. I just printed them out, hand wrote them, uh, 
sent him pictures of me in front of my restored Bronco with my kids and my wife um, posing for Father's Day. And like, I'm just a normal guy, just interested in this topic. I just wanted to talk to you about it. So he ended up actually calling me on like a Friday night as I was grilling some food for dinner. And we had our first conversation over the phone. And the same thing that he said to me in that phone call is the same thing he has been repeating ad nauseum on these interviews and on these um, news segments. So he has been consistent with his stance that we have been lied to. So it, it's it's refreshing to see. I, I feel like I got an insight into his mentality, into his thought process pretty much before the rest of the UFO community. And it's nice to see that it has been consistent. I don't always agree with him on politics. I'll throw that out there right now. But I am grateful to have him as an advocate for UAP disclosure because he has been consistent. And I, I do feel like he is going to continue to push. And I feel like in any day now, he's going to say, I'm not going to let it go. So I'm hoping that'll end up coming out of his mouth soon. And and so, Dan, you know, Graham Rendell posted his letter to his MP the other day. I'm trying to remember someone else that said that they wrote to their MP recently. And we're talking about uh, British, uh, our British brothers and sisters writing to their members of parliament um, that are, I guess, House of Commons types. Um, and uh, so you're inspiring people by by doing stuff like that. And obviously, Christopher was as well. So thank you. Not what you're doing is not just localized, but other people are like, okay, I need to engage with, with my politician on this topic, even though in their case, they know that right now the answer they're going to get is going to be a sort of a pat canned answer, which Graham spoke about. Uh, and let me pass over to the, but, but I would recommend that you put your personal self in the letter. Don't just write something out. If you can, if you're, com if you feel comfortable putting a picture of yourself or your family in there, someone is going to open a thousand letters that day. They're going to look at that one with the picture longer than they're going to look at any other one. So if, I mean, I hate to say, use your family as leverage. It's not what I'm saying, <laughs> but uh, please use but your family helps. as leverage. Every yeah. community, like show them, you're, you're a human, you're a regular person. You have you're, you're just a regular dude. Let them know that it just, I feel like that's something that that could be beneficial to contacting our representatives is we're not just a bunch of words and angry letters. I'm sure they get tons of those. Yeah. We're a community. We're people. We're just like them. Yeah. I, yeah. Spot I, I on. Well, and, and I, this reminds me, or I think of uh, the article that we saw from Billy Cox the other day, um, where he was talking about uh, kind of the body language analysis of a lot of the folks that have come forward and mentioned something about this topic. So including the presidents, uh, he mentioned uh, Woolsey and Brennan and Brennan in particular, you know, I've always been fascinated by his response uh, to the questions that he received where he kind of goes into this. Uh, he has this very kind of troubled you know, heavy weighed down sort of body language. And can you saying, do it, Nathan? Can you, yeah, it's kind of like, uh, you know, it's like, and it's a, it may constitute some kind of form of life, you know? So it's, it seems clear that there is this, you know, where I'm going with this, Dan, is that there's this human element here, right? That it's, and I think what you're saying is, you know, bring that to the forefront of the engagement, because really this, this issue really does connect us on this fundamental human level. And those that are kind of closer to the secrets, it's not that they don't feel that too, you know, that they feel that very profoundly. And so by engaging them in this human way, 
it's a way to really create that connection, a sense that they will uh, be more likely to respond. And, and, and they'll think of that picture. They'll think of that anecdote that you share with them when they're kind of fighting for the, the, this cause in the halls of Congress. Um, but what I wanted to ask you about, you know, just as a discussion topic, um, I haven't listened to the entire interview with Dr. Prasolka and Vinny, but the part that I did catch was something that I had not heard before. And she mentioned that she has absolutely heard from people who are in some of these deep black programs, including, she said, uh, an individual who had been in the program since they were 18 and they are now about 60 years old. So they've been How do you get program. that job at 18? Right. So I was thinking, I was trying to do the math on that, right? That's like early 80s, you know, 40 years ago. Uh, must have been like a super bright person that just, I don't know, that got picked up into the program. But I mean, how far back do you think this goes? Uh, where's the biggest amount of smoke in your mind in terms of the legacy programs that, that might be out there? I'm going to say the most obvious thing that's ever been said on the show. I think it dates back to 1947. I mean, everybody's been talking. It's been shocking to me how many people have been talking about Roswell lately. Like, I thought that was too far gone to be of any value, to be of any benefit to this community. But it has reared its head again. It Mm -hmm. is shocking to me that that's where Lou Elizondo has pointed. That's where Donald Trump has pointed. There's been so, so many people commenting on that recently that it is making me look back at it and, and, and view it in a different light. I, I don't know how else to say it, but it's something happened in 1947. All signs are pointing to it. And it wasn't a weather balloon. It wasn't dummies. <laughs> that's that's it, so it, funny. It just seems saying it. So it, the, the, the best thing that you can hear as far as 1947 goes are the radio clips that they play i can't i can't tell you exactly what youtube channel put this together as a compilation but they they play the the news segments from the day they found it the day that night and then the next day the tone changes and then it changes some more and it's just this weird um trajectory that this story takes from ramping up to all of a sudden being squashed completely flat it's it's really strange it's really telling in my opinion i i think nathan and deb and i think you can even you and i've probably had this conversation during our very early phone conversations i never didn't believe just by the nature of how it went down i never didn't believe it for a second because i knew it was crap just because i i know how they work and i know how they you know that, that they would try to do that so i i just kind of i never believed that and, and also, who would make a big deal if it was a crash weather balloon? Why the hell are we having all these deuce and a halfs and tractor trailers rolling out to uh, Corona, New Mexico, which is like 90 miles from Roswell, <laughs> uh, to pick up a, a weather balloon? And, you know, uh, so, I'm, I mean, it's just absurd on its face. But anyway, I, I digress. Uh, one thing I did want to say, though, is what, what you said, though, is uh, about that, that they feel like Tim feels like he's one of us and 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 kirsten does as well uh and that it's it's uh it's bipolitical if you will is even if you look at the people on this panel nathan is from a completely different background than myself as are you and and deb also is from a completely different background than the three of us and i'd like to say to people that these folks like uh, whether you're talking about a richard butt or a, a lou elizondo or dan warren 
Uh, I, you know, Lou Elizondo is you as it, as it relates to ufology. Dan Warren is you. Nathan is you. Exo is you. I'm you. There's not, we're, we're all after the same thing. Deb is you. You know, there, there's not a, well, there's this group and then there's that group and this group's trying to, no, we're all trying to figure out what's going on here together. I'm a sorry, rising Kevin. tide lifts all boats. Like we're all trying to get answers. We're all trying to figure this out and we're taking different paths to try to get to the same endpoint. And we all have our different journeys in life and we're all taking different journeys in the UFO analysis. Like we're trying to figure this out. There's um, no us and them is the point though. Lou is one of us. He wants to know too. You know? Except for Stephen Greenstreet. Shout out to Stephen Greenstreet. <laughs> I think he wants to know. It's drones. <laughs> I love you, Stephen. I think he wants to be convinced. That's what it is. Oh, yeah. I mean, I can't fault the guy. Like, he's he's asking hard questions that are not getting answered. I can't fault the guy for asking. Are we going to have we to need let people Nathan like go- him in this society? Nathan has a hypothesis on this. Nathan, you read before? No, I'm not going to go there. Okay, don't go. Okay. All right, go ahead, Deb. <laughs> okay, so... And it was a combination of like my own research, because, you know, we really do go on a journey and, you know, listening to Dr. Pasolka um, on Vinny's show, I was thinking about how often religions and cultures have parallel things going on. Um, Do you think that there's a possibility that the inheritance model of an ancient civilization is true? It also is reflected in our religion. And then that might explain the possibility of ultra terrestrials as mentioned by Hal Putoff? I think it very well could be. Um, if you look at the megalithic record, which is just the, the large stone construction that's occurred in humanity's past, the most, the largest stones, the most elaborate work is the earliest. It sits on the bottom. Other civilizations basically found those sites, inherited those sites, built upon them, the question I have is why did those original builders pick that location? What was the significance of that location? Or if it had some significance, why would you build on the top of Machu Picchu with these giant stones? And that is, in my opinion, if you guys don't know, go look up a Brian Forrester video on YouTube about Machu Picchu and you're going to be blown away. You're going to find out that there's three different levels of techniques, uh, building techniques that took place in that same location. And the oldest stuff is the most amazing. It's just, it blows my mind. So there's something we were handed this information or those sites. We, we built upon them for obvious reasons. They were there. They were picked because there was value in that location for resources or whatever it was. Um, and the same could be true in my opinion for religion. Like maybe we didn't understand why people worship the way that they did we we heard about it we interpreted it the way that we could and i don't want to even say anything about this because nathan's in, on the panel and he's gonna <laughs> he's gonna tell me where i'm wrong That's fine. but but the but the religion in my opinion that jumps out to me as what's up with those guys is the indian religion the the gods that they had it, it's just phenomenal their their history their religious history is aliens and that's there's no other way to talk about extraterrestrials that came to earth and they had blue skin and four arms and or however many arms um it why was that so significant why is it that chris bledsoe 
was visited by the lady and she told him that her name was Hathor, who is a Egyptian god. So why did Lou Elizondo make the cigarette analogy where he said some beings experience time differently than we do? Maybe there are some cre some beings that ex that have a longer existence than we do that we don't understand. So it could be that Hathor that Chris Bledsoe met is the same Hathor from Egypt that they depicted on the walls of her temple. So it, to me, there there could be some hand me down religious context associated with it that I want to know about. That's where I think um, what does it mean to be a human really comes into play. Like why, why are we classifying ourselves as human? What are these other things? These things that may, as was it Woosley or Brennan that said, these things may represent something we may recognize as something that's similar to life. Like what a vague non-committal statement to make, <laughs> right? which is wow. something, which is something else that I've picked up on as a pattern. So he basically got on that show and said, there's something up there. We don't really know exactly what it is. Lou Elizondo recommended that we read the book Chains of the Sea. What's that book about? It's about multiple different possible origins of the UAP uh, phenomena, including extraterrestrials, something that is terrestrial in nature and has always been here and is more akin to the jinn than humanity, but we just can't perceive it. How Pudoff goes on and talks about ultra-terrestrials, which could be a, a variety of different origins, including the ancient race of humanity that are, there's only remnants left of, which leads to the crypto terrestrial hypothesis. So it's all intertwined. And this is where I just feel like we don't know. And if you listen to the guys that were talking about this back in the sixties, they sound like they could be on this podcast today. They'd say the exact same thing today that they did back in the sixties. I don't think that we as a species has the ability to understand what we're dealing with yet. I'm hoping that we get there at some point, but I don't think we understand what it is. Jacques Vallée said ETs are too simple of an answer. I'm going to have to go with him on this one for the moment. <laughs> yeah. well, one thing I'm going to say, I want to say two things. First of all, Nathan, can you please send Dan a check just for that last <laughs> segment alone? Absolutely. <laughs> send Checks him a mail. check. <laughs> mm -hmm. On the way. All right. Um, and Dan, the only thing, the only part, I, I, I think our capacity for understanding is is great but if i were to ask you to just know as somebody out of the womb so to speak how to do advanced mathematics without someone to stand at the blackboard and say dan this is how it goes you see i'm going to write out this equation and then maybe you could pick it up i feel like if if we had contact where their aim or their goal was to have us to understand I believe, and this is maybe complete naivete on my part, so let me just say that. I believe we would have the capacity to understand if they wanted to explain the nature of their origin to us. So I'm going to go with what I feel like you're describing is if they gave, if they gifted us a craft, that wouldn't explain it to us like sit, they wouldn't be sitting in front of a chalkboard teaching us their technology, but they would say, Hey, look, this is a craft. It can do amazing things. Don't give up. Keep trying. 
learn for yourself. And that's how I view the UFO topic as far as educating people about it. I'm not going to sit there and try to convince you that the UFO, that UFOs are real. What I'm going to do is I'm going to say, Hey, here's some information that I found compelling. Look into it yourself, make, think for yourself and make up your own mind as to if you think this is something that's worthwhile digging into deeper. And if it is, man, there's so much more for you to find. Your, your learning journey has just begun. So that's, that's my goal with my TikTok channel is to get people to, to, to hook them with that curiosity bug, that what if uh, question that, that has been bouncing around in my head like a ping pong ball in a glass jar for 43 years. Wow. Well, you answered Christopher Sharp's second question. So thank you. I don't remember what it was. <laughs> no, that was it. He wanted to kind of know. So what you just said about I, I, I go to TikTok, I'm going to put the I'm not going to tell you, you need to believe this, which is which is the in my view, it's the right stance. I don't have to make you believe anything or convince you of anything. Uh, I'm, this is what I found out. If you want to take this information in, great. If you don't have a great day. Nathan, I think you're next. Yeah, well, I, I, I mean, just on the megalithic thing and, and kind of the overall human story, right? Um, I, I, I feel as if what we're learning is how much we don't know, you know, and, and th this topic is very good at, I think, exposing how much we don't know. And, you know, if you think about our, our kind of Western conception of history and ancient history, archaeology, all of these kind of subjects that, you know, you and I, we were born into just thinking like, oh, we kind of figured this stuff out and we have these disciplines and it all makes sense. And they're very thoughtful and, and well, you know, orchestrated or whatever. And they have these systems and they're explaining our history and it's all very neat and tidy. And the truth of the matter is like, we're really just in our infancy and we've thrown a narrative at the wall here that, you know, has done a decent job explaining our, our past. But the more that we dig, the more that we look around, the more we kind of have to go, wait a minute. I, I don't know if that narrative quite fits the facts. And I, I think the mega the megalithic structures to me really highlight that in, in kind of in, in stark de detail. You know, how do you have all of these incredible structures around the world and just sort of say, well, I mean, the ancient people, they were just, you know, really they really liked building this stuff and they just put a lot of people to it and they all kind of figured out these techniques and yeah, we don't know how to do it, but I mean, they were all just doing it at the same time, even though, by the way, they didn't actually have any connection with each other. They didn't. I mean, none of that really in makes granite, any sense. Yeah, exactly. In, in incredibly hard stone. It's, and it's, yeah, the, exactly. there's tool marks on the granite that can't be explained by pounding one rock with another. Like there's just things that oh, it, it's the anomalies that we're finding that make us question the narrative the historical narrative of humanity, just like it is the anomalies that we're finding in our skies right now that are making us question our reality. Yeah, for sure. And so what do you think, you know, if you were to kind of peer into the crystal ball a little bit into the next hundred years, obviously we can kind of speculate a lot here, but you know, what do you think that this means for the stories that we take for granted today? I mean, how much reworking are we going to see happen as this continues to uh, unfold and run, run its course. So there's what I think, and then there's what I hope for. Let's so, hear <laughs> um, I, I heard us, this, this is, it's going to go, I'm going to go dark first. So, um, and then I'll, I'll brighten it up. But the uh, <laughs> statement that I heard that has stuck with me, like if you want to envision the future, 
just envision a boot on a skull and that's the future of humanity. And unfortunately, I have to believe that based on past being an indicator of the future. I've seen that movie too, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so my hopes, my hope is that what we find out is that just like Graham Hancock has said many, many times that we are a species with amnesia, mm. that yeah. our historical record has been wiped off the face of the earth. Think of Noah's flood. It's, it's in multiple different uh, religions and documents around the world. If you look into the work of Randall Carlson, who I actually met a few weeks ago, and I'll tell you right now, I was, I was shaking like a leaf nervous because <laughs> like, he is one of those guys to me that is, my wife has no idea who he is, but I'm just like, a, I'm fanning out. It is, I was so nervous to meet him. Um, but awesome. he has found all the evidence in the geographical record in the Channel Scab lands of Washington of an enormous flood, not a gradual deterioration of the uh, strata that, that we see on the surface of the earth, but a sudden catastrophic event. So what I think is going to happen in the next 100 years is that we're going to confirm that we as a species have been subjected to numerous catastrophic events that have reset us and demolished our current civilizations, but we retained the core story through verbal communications, through finding these, these locations that have these structures that we aren't able to, to, to make ourselves. So we decided to build on them. We decided to try to replicate them. We try to add hieroglyphs to them, to, to make them ours, to add our little piece to this slice of history. Um, that's what I'm hoping for in the next 100 years is that we recognize that as a society that, hey, existence is fleeting on Earth. An asteroid could come and wreck our civilization. Um, one, one thing that I've heard people talk about with the time traveler the hypothesis is they'll say, well, why would a highly advanced human want to come back and find out our history when they know it already? And to me... <laughs> I refer to the the fact that a technological society is going to be the easiest one to erase. Like there's there's all these podcast tweets that we make, they're going to vanish with a power outage, with a EMP. We're we're not going to exist. Th those records aren't going to exist. They could be easily wiped from the record. A thousand years from now, of course they're going to be gone if if something had happened. Stone's going to last longer. That's going to be part of the record that we're going to see. I think landfills are going to be our uh, contribution to the future. To history, yeah. Yeah, that's where that's where they're gonna they're gonna root through our landfills and try to figure us out based on our trash. Yeah. No, they're gonna find out how much my hip surgery cost in that case. Uh, <laughs> but <laughs> anyway, no, this is fascinating. And and by the way, it made me think that when we have Doctor Michael Masters on, we should have Dan back on because I have a feeling that, that you guys would have a great dialogue. Um, and Debs, uh, I think it's yes. your turn, my friend. Yeah, I actually think it's so weird that you were talking about that because I was watching the National Geographic special about moving the ocean aside to see what's underneath and the ancient civilizations that are actually being found oh, yeah. in the ocean. So I was I was looking for Atlantis, of course, but that's I think it's fictitious. But um, I wanted to ask if you had heard about the mini hominids 
because I know you're interested a little bit in cryptids. Flora Florensis, is that them? There's there's two now. There's one that was off of the island. Uh, hold on, I wrote this in, in Indonesia and one. Yes, in the that's the one I'm familiar with. I'm, and the one I'm, one in the Philippines, and they just happen to be the same size as what we talk about when we talk about the grays. Don't you think that's peculiar? They're about three point five to four feet tall, and we. I, I just think that that's something uh, people should be investigating. There's lots of stories in our folklore about fairies and little people and, you know, sprites and things like that. So what what is your input on the hominids? That are I, just, I, I just want to say that James Iandoli referred to both Nathan and I as that species. So this is a bit it's of true. A, a sensitive topic right now. <laughs> oh, I'm very sorry. Yeah. I'm no, pretty okay. sure you're not 3.5 okay. feet tall, though. I'm, okay. I'm, no. So it's almost like those species of humanity would have a vested interest in avoiding contact with us and relying on stealth to survive. So if you, which is, I'm alluding to the crypto terrestrial hypothesis. So it could very well be that in the, our ancient past, at some point there have been uh, hominids that relied on stealth, relied on staying out of our way more or less to survive and that could be because they're smaller than us or something that would require them to do it the, one of the things that blows my mind is looking at the elongated skulls of paracas those things looked pathetically weak like if you look at them they're like man those things couldn't put up with me in a fight their brains were 25 percent larger than us their eye sockets were 50 percent larger than us Maybe they lived in a different environment than we do, uh, than we did. So maybe that's how they survived. They, uh, it's my, of, I'm of the opinion that what happened was they came from the Black Seas. They made it to Peru, made it to Paracas. They decided to try to live amongst the people there. And just like the Neanderthal, like two, three of the four of us, I'm not sure about you, Deb, have Neanderthal DNA in our genes. <laughs> I have a lot, a apparently. The, the Asian, the Asian uh, population has a certain percent of Denisovan in their DNA. So they're, they're close. I think that what happened to the elongated skulls of Paracas is they were close enough to us genetically to where they were able to breed with the population there. And they just kind of became part of the population. So they, they had something genetically different from us that was bred out of their lineage at some point. And it was, but what, where did they come from? Why did they, why did everything that's so different about those skulls exist in the first place? Where were they underground dwellers is what I lean to. And is that why we wouldn't have ever found them if they hadn't come out of hiding and tried to live amongst the people of Paracas? It's it's worth noting that with the hominids that they were on islands and with almost all the ancient civilizations that have gone underwater, they were right next to the water like an island. So, you know, it kind of makes you wonder, everything's coming out of the water now. Is there something we missed? I'm yeah. just very curious well, about that. I wish we knew all the answers. And something to point out is uh, during the Younger Dryas event where there was rapid heating, the sea levels rose 400 feet in I want to say a thousand years. I, I'm I'm giving myself a little buffer there. I'm not exactly sure how how long. I'm writing uh, this down. Right, four hundred feet. That? Got it. Okay. Okay. That that gets you basically to the continental shelf 
of all of the continents around the world, like Indonesia, those areas were there, there was so much land that was exposed. And of course, where are our civilizations going to build themselves when we first started to civilize would be along the shoreline. So we've lost an enormous amount of our history um, that I want to get back someday. And so that's one of the things that I hope for, for the UFO uh, phenomenon is it'll be like, oh yeah, we, we know that we here's some videos of what happened 12,500 years ago. Dan, if only you read a little bit more, uh, <laughs> dude, I'm telling you, I don't read. More topics, so if you could kind of, I uh, absorbed just, via podcast, YouTube, and no, well, I have read some of Graham Hancock. I just feel you're, like you're, you just motivated me to talk to aliens more. I want to talk yes. to them about our history now. <laughs> yes, Debs, you should be. I, I can't believe you haven't been doing this. I can't Take believe you're the still calling helper. the A word. That's not yeah. PC anymore, man. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Hey, I have a Mac. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> um, Dan, like I just now, since we've been, I've got one, two, three, four, five questions that I've generated just since you've begun talking that are great questions. So um, we might extend this one out a little bit. And also, I want to encourage you. I literally forgot that we're in the fireside chat format, which means you can pose a question to someone else or a topic for the group. Cause that's really what we're supposed to be doing here. But we've been so fascinated to ask you questions that we forgot all about it. Right. Nathan? Yeah. We Nathan, just have a good right time. Dabs? Yeah. Yeah. We totally forgot it. Um, so after this, uh, I'm going to ask you about our friend who is very ever omnipresent in the woods up there in Tennessee. Uh, but, but, <laughs> well, I shouldn't say friend because now after, yeah, okay. What happened is Nathan turned me on to Sasquatch <laughs> Chronicles. Dan sent me an episode today about the I sent him the game. best episode ever. God. It was it, I don't know if it's the best ever that I've heard on his show because he has so many amazing episodes to hikers in Kentucky. He's got so many great episodes, but it was great and I did listen to the whole thing. So, let's talk about Bigfoot and after this Dan, you can either throw out a topic for the group to consider or ask someone in the group a question if you so choose. Um, okay. Um, I, I, I was so gratified to hear that you have an interest in the topic since Nathan's fully responsible for me not sleeping for <laughs> five out of the last 10 nights. Um, what is your, your thought on, uh, let, can we just start with completely terrestrial creature or possibly terrestrial and interdimensional or one or the other. And then you can just take it wherever you want to go with it, please. All right. I'm, as far my gut tells me it's a terrestrial hominid, just natural um, creature. Um, I don't see why when, when I look at humanity, I see a lot of variety. I see a huge amount of variety, just like I see when I look at, the canine species. I mean, it just runs the gamut of sizes and shapes and colors. And so why wouldn't there be a Great Dane version of humanity that wouldn't be exactly like us? They could be a, a derivative, a branch off of our tree. The Denisovans were larger than us. The Neanderthals were shorter, but stouter than us. So why wouldn't there be a meg, um, megafauna version of us that was smart enough to have survived the the last glacial retreat 
where the woolly mammoths didn't make it, the, the mastodons didn't make it, the giant sloths didn't make it. What if there was a giant human? There's all kinds of records of large hominid type people. Uh, the work of Hugh Newman and uh, Jim Vieira is phenomenal, where they've gone back in the newspapers where they have reports of finding large bones. Um, the, the oral tradition of the Native Americans, where they say there were people that were well proportioned, that were enormous, that like, there's got to be something to it, in my opinion, if it has been so well documented. And I'll say um, in, in our oral traditions, in our histories, if you look at Gilgamesh uh, in Samaria, he was holding two giants or two lions in his arms. Egypt has depictions of giant human beings next to regular sized people that look like dwarfs. So to me, there's something there. What it is, I don't know, but I want to believe that Bigfoot's there um, because of Micah Hanks. I feel like I can talk about Bigfoot uh, and UFOs in the same podcast. Micah Hanks, what's <laughs> up? And um, if when it, but then there's those anomalies that show up when you start looking into the Bigfoot topic. There's a, they're accompanied by lights in the yes. forest that. that that are unexplainable, that sound like orbs. There's nothing else I can describe them as, but they sound like orbs that they have a relationship with. I don't know if they have control of them, if they have a symbiotic relationship, but they're seen in similar scenarios at similar times. Um, I've heard some crazy ones on uh, Sasquatch Chronicles where I, one a, a person ran into one with their car and as the Bigfoot slapped the hood, there was a flash of light and all of a sudden it was gone. So, what? so there's there's all these anomalies that show up in it. But just like the UFO topic and the stigma associated with it that keeps people from telling the truth, telling their actual experiences because they're afraid of being judged. Same thing happens in the Bigfoot world. People don't want to talk about the the woo side of their experiences, their encounters that they don't want to be looked down upon because they had this strange thing happen. Uh, and then you can also take a look at the work of Stan Gordon out of Pittsburgh, uh, Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania, who was an amazing UFO researcher. And then he started to notice patterns, which is one of the one, like I said, one of the things that I am looking for all the time is patterns. He found a pattern where there were UFO sightings and then there were Bigfoot sightings. And if you want to say this guy's not a good researcher. You've never looked into his research. He was very thorough, very complete with what he did. So for somebody of that caliber to look at this Bigfoot phenomenon and say there is a link between the Bigfoot phenomena and the UFO phenomena, I got to give it some credence. I have to look at it. I, I have to not judge it make my mind up and then look at it. I had to come into it with an open mind and say, let me see what he's got. Let me see how he's linking these two things together. There's just so much odd stuff associated with Bigfoot. For instance, we can't find any skeletal remains of him. Like how, why, why? That seems so odd that we wouldn't be able to at this point. I don't know if that answered a question, but that no, was just me rambling about Bigfoot no, UFOs no. and orbs for a while. I love it. No, I was going to say that I, I I think you I think you did. I mean, you said that it it's a def it's something that you have to consider because of the evidence. And I don't know if Nathan heard the same episode of Sasquatch Chronicles. And by the way, shout out to Wes Germer, 
Uh, he and a combination of he, his brother, and, and his colleagues have not, almost 900 episodes, which is remarkable in Staggering. this space. Yeah. Yes. Uh, but one of them was that uh, uh, they saw a, a, a Sasquatch underneath a limb. And when, when the, the Sasquatch disappeared over a ridgeline, they ran up to where he was standing under this, you know, this prodigious limb. And there was a static electricity present that obviously, you know, that they could feel that static electricity. That, that, those are the kinds of things that lead to that hypothesis you were just talking about. Because static electricity just doesn't exist during the daytime in the woods, uh, surrounded by uh, material that doesn't conduct electricity. So... Uh, but anyway, Dan, uh, thank you for bringing that out because we're going to get cryptid up in this joint. <laughs> um, can you? Uh, would you like to either present a topic to the group or ask somebody a question? Uh, I'll, I'll throw a cryptid question out there. Yes, I, I feel like if you've dove into the cryptid world, you've got a favorite. Like, who is? What is your favorite cryptid? That's not just Bigfoot. You can't name Bigfoot. You can't name Loch Ness. What is your? Your your underground uh, underdog cryptid. I mean, I love Mothman. I got you know, <laughs> right? West Virginia, right? <laughs> right, Point Pleasant. I mean, what a cool story. There's just, uh, I mean, flying moth. I would love to be Mothman. We'll fly around, you know. <laughs> Sounds sweet. Um, it's got like it's mermaids. got its perks, right? Totally. I don't know. I I feel like are we going like possibly real or are we just going straight mythology because i love unicorns you can have one of each okay unicorns and mermaids and i say the mermaids separately because people have seen some things in the water that make you go hmm, that sounds more cryptid than mermaid all right i, I, I want to throw a quick shout out based on the mermaid comment have you guys ever heard of max hawthorne he he has been on spaced out radio and that guy is the best podcast guest ever like he has done all this research on sea creatures and has these amazing stories that he is he can re recount for you mm. during it um, he's written several books called coronas rising um, phenomenal guy man like I, I follow him on twitter and uh, his interviews are always hilarious because his cat always he has like an enormous cat that always shows up and jumps on him and he talks to it like it's a baby on air it cracks me up but man the guy has some phenomenal stories like 900 foot long sharks wow there's just uh, a creature that looked like a shellless turtle that was spotted and a picture was taken of it that was 100 feet long or something just just ridiculous stuff that has been spotted in our oceans which makes me think about USOs and um, Dave Fravers' recounting of the the object that rose from underneath the torpedo, sucked it down as they were pulling the diver that was trying to recover it out of it. Like, what is going on under the surface of the ocean? Mermaids. It's huge. Yeah, uh, I wrote that one down. Wes Hawthorne is a possible guest. So I'll, I'll Max uh, Hawthorne. Max. Oh, sorry, Max Hawthorne. I was. Can, I was conflating him with Wes Germer, so Max Hawthorne. Thank you. Got that. Um, and I'm going to break one of the rules and say Sasquatch just because I am fascinated with the idea of this creature that is potentially, uh, and you guys can take this around the table as well, that is part us and maybe uh, part primate and maybe a un, um, 
I hate to say unevolved because, you know, Dan was talking about that if the power went off, you know, our records would, would, would be lost, that there would be a number of people that would die within a very short period of time, uh, panic, all these sorts of things. And then if I, if I refer to Sasquatch as unevolved, but yet this is a creature that has survived and thrived in the forest uh, on its own for, you know, an untold period of time. We don't, I don't know how long Dan might know, Nathan might know, Dan might know. Um, then I, how, how can I necessarily say it's unevolved? Maybe from a technological perspective, yes. Um, but, but yeah, I'm going to say I'm very intrigued uh, with that creature that it can, in many cases, live not harmoniously with humans, but be able to live on adjacent to humans and not interact with it. Uh, and so I, I, I find that fascinating. There's not a lot of creatures that, that fall into that category. So I wouldn't call it unevolved. I would say it was differently adapted. It's mm -hmm. adapted highly to its environment just, and, and it evolved differently than we did. Just like I, I think three of the four of us wear corrective lenses because we live in an environment. We live in a world where looking at things close up is more important than looking at our surroundings at this point. So, um, our, our vision has deteriorated over the, the last few generations because we don't need to be as aware of our entire surroundings like we used to. I think that's part of it. We're, I feel like that's a current sign of us changing the way that our physical nature is. I'm sure it has some, a lot to do with the fact that our infant mortality rate is zero. Like if I had been born with my eyesight, I had to get LASIK. I had to get PRK, which is the more That's extreme true. version of LASIK. Um, if I had been born with my eyesight back in the 1600s, I would have died. Like no doubt about it. I wouldn't have survived. If I was born in 50 BC, I absolutely would have died. So <laughs> maybe it's just... That's why our eyes are deteriorating. I'm sure there's part of that. Um, but I think that we're watching ourselves. We're, we're, we're evolving into Wally right now. Like, look at the American <laughs> physique. We're changing the way that we look by the way that we eat. Uh, it, it's crazy. It, you know, you share this hypothesis. I, I, Nathan, Deb, do you guys remember Dr. Master said the same thing about eyesight? Yeah. He was on the show <laughs> with us. He did. Yeah, we so, did. Yeah, I, yeah, we asked him about that. Yeah, and I think we you know we often kind of confuse the fact that we've been so successful and that we're, you know, we spread around the globe with our kind of superiority, right? Um, you know, ants are everywhere, uh, and they do a great job surviving, and we don't interact with them all that much, and they may think that they're really kind of all that there is. So we have that. It's very possible we're in the same boat, you know, just because we're everywhere. Uh, and we're doing a good job, quote unquote, you know, uh, re reproducing and passing our genes down. Does it really reflect at all to what else is out there around us? And, and I think for me, at least, that's what the cryptids, uh, you know, kind of hint to and the UFO sort of thing hints to is that we are really in this sort of rich atmosphere of life. It's just that we can't perceive most of it. And, and we, we've, you know, sort of conflated our inability to perceive that with that there's just nothing there that it's only what we can perceive. And I think this is sort of peeking through our, our, you know, kind of routine perception and allowing us to 
realize how you know kind of small of a niche we actually occupy so it's almost like as lou elizondo said we're in the middle like mm -hmm. we're not on either end extreme end of the spectrum we're somewhere in the middle we're not the biggest fish we're not the smallest fish yeah yeah that makes sense to me i feel bad that i'm drinking red wine we have dan on i feel like i should be drinking pappy van winkle or that Dan has a bottle of that at his house. So I hope you don't judge me for the red wine, Dan. No, no not at all. Uh, my wife drinks Pinot Grigio, so uh, you're, you're closer to her taste buds than mine. I'm a, I'm a whiskey guy. Nice. Well, that, what I just said, Pappy Van Winkle, man. Is, I don't know what that is. I, you know. It's, it's a bourbon. Oh, yeah, my so. God. It's so hard to get. I think the bottles are going for. I didn't I mean, say I drink good whiskey. <laughs> I drink whiskey. Yeah, okay. it's they're obscenely expensive. Yeah, uh, they're well, expensive. I, I hate to sort of switch gears, but I, I wanted to. Uh, I wanted to ask kind of an interesting question about about our history because we are kind of talking about history here. But uh, how much uh, stake do you put in the? Uh, and maybe I'll go to D DJ first with this one. Uh, how much stake do you put into the whole Eisenhower uh, alien? you know, encounter. Do you, do you think that there's a, some truth to that story? <laughs> um, you know, based on when you look at, you know, Eisenhower's a four-star general, you look at how many uh, men he lost in, in World War II and what that felt like to him as one of the premier officers in, in the history of our nation who then became president. He'd be very, very sensitive to that issue as compared with not say that all presidents have to have served or anything like that. I'm not from that, that perspective, but it, it would be particularly sensitive to him. So the idea that he would, um, that he would trade lives for technology is not resonant uh, with me. I, I don't think that that's something he would do. However, though, Nathan, mm -hmm. as a thought experiment, yeah, I think we could, I think, we could play this out a little bit and, sure. and maybe we can just free ourselves up a little bit, you know? Yeah. Let's do it. Yeah. What's a couple kids jumping in a pond in, in, uh, in devil's tower. I mean, mm -hmm. it's not a big deal. Right. So, <laughs> all right. So, so we're me, are we at Edwards air force base? Is that where this, yeah, that's where supposedly the, uh, the meeting went down. Yeah. Dan Debs, people in the chat, viewers on YouTube and Twitter. <laughs> we, <laughs> we are at the end of a runway. Or a lonely taxiway at Edwards Air Force Base. I am representing Dwight David Eisenhower, mm. and Nathan is the phenomenon. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> so I've just landed my ship, I guess, huh? Yes, sir. Yeah. All right. So, uh, so I guess you've come on board, and uh, you know I, we're not really talking. There's sort of a telepathy going on, and uh, I'm offering a little bit of a trade deal here. You know, I don't know if you've ever experienced this problem. Maybe you would like this technology. It's uh, it's pretty good. But if you've ever gone into a room and you needed to turn the lights on mm -hmm. and uh, you can't find the switch, you know, you're just like, you don't remember, you're not sure where it is, or uh, you got in bed and you forgot to hit the switch, uh, you know, and you don't want to get up again. You know, if you th there's a technology that we could give you where mm -hmm. if you just kind of put your hands together, it would turn, <laughs> would turn the lights off. Would that be something that would be... Of interest to you? Would that be a good deal? <laughs> the clapper? Um, yes. Uh, I, I think for, yes, yeah, some sort of anti-gravity uh, propulsion <laughs> system and the clapper, <laughs> I find that to be. 
you know, otherwise, I, I'll tell you what. I, I have a counteroffer. Mm-hmm. Um, we have developed something that, for example, if you were on a spacewalk and you have some sort of a spanner on your belt and you mm-hmm. don't want to lose it, you know, you're outside, you have, you have your craft, and then all of a sudden one of these, uh, one of these little uh, uh, pulses, waveguides in the skin needs to be repaired. You need a little bit of super glue or something mm-hmm. or some double bubble. Uh, and so we have something called Velcro. Mm, okay. um, and I would be willing to trade this to you mm-hmm. if you would, I don't know, give us some sort of a sports car looking disc. Right. That sounds pretty intriguing. We don't have anything like that on the ship. Um, <laughs> you know, and, and quite frankly, I never thought we would need something like that. But when you described it to me just now, I could see there's a lot of value to it. So, yeah, let's make a trade there. That sounds like a, a good idea to me. I'll do it. I'll do it. Yeah. Uh, also, we'd be willing to, you know, we'd be willing to trade some, you know, uh, maybe there's something that we've used also. Let's say, you know, the landing gear on these ships, you know, you, you know, you're going through coming into the atmosphere. Things are starting to get rusty. We've developed something called WD-40. It's called hmm. just a little bit of squirt. Yeah. All your squeaks go away. Dan uses it all the time on all the hinges time. on his kid's bedroom door. <laughs> um <laughs> I'm glad you brought it up because, uh, I mean, we have some of the squeakiest equipment here on the ship. And if you're saying I can just do this and the squeaks are gone, then that makes my intergalactic travel like a lot smoother. So I, I would absolutely be willing to make that. Gotta trade. Do it. I think I think we have a trade here. I think I think what we've established is there's absolutely no question that Dwight David Eisenhower did, in fact, make some sort of a trade, barter some sort of a deal with a phenomenon, Nathan. I think we've solved this. Yeah, with deals like those, I mean, how could it not have happened, right? Can I get an amen? Look at that. This is how we can get along with other intelligences. That's it. Amen, brothers and sisters. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's a (laughs) So that little crazy (laughs) bit aside, which we had a fun time imagining. Yeah. uh, (laughs) You know, Dan, do you think there is anything that, like, is worthy of, of exchange, you know, with our, our culture and, you know, kind of whatever these other cultures may be. I mean, what kind of, uh, what kind of thing would we be able to bring to the table to that? Do you think? DNA. Um, Mm. earth has, is a Mecca for variety of life. To me, that is the value that we bring to the table. I think there's asteroids on the planet or in the universe that have a lot more gold than we have on our, our, in our, our entire planet. But we have a variety that is possibly unsurpassed in the universe. I, I'm obviously I am speaking with a lot of uh, assumption right. there, but I think that's what it would be: is we are just a seed bank of different types of species and variety, and it changes constantly. It's never; it's always always different. Like you come back hundred thousand years from now, we'll have the different animals than we, than we do now. So it's going to be um, DNA, in my opinion. I think that's what we have. And that's what there's, there's reproductive overtones in the abduction phenomena that also kind of back that up. Um, so we're this garden, basically, right? We're this, uh, you know, really rich cornucopia of life that, like you said, may just not be that abundant elsewhere. I love that idea. Nathan, that that look on your face right now, Mm. that look of joy, that look of intrigue that you have, 
it's not easy that it's that in itself is a miracle to maybe to another intelligence. I'm supposing, of course, but I assume that that is a miracle is that that look of joy, that feeling, that emotion. And and if 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 I were to think of what they might want to look at us for is they may desire to have that or see if they can breed that into their species. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I've all often thought about um, the greys as more or less minions. Like if you look at the minion movies, yep. some of them have bad genetics. I mean, some of them are, are pretty sharp, but a lot of them, they're so inbred or, or I don't know how they reproduce uh, minions, but they're just not conscious. They're not deep thinking. Mm. Um, maybe they were so hybridized that they lost the um, spontaneousness of the human uh, experience. Like we're very unpredictable creatures uh, just in general. We, we like, we, we like to have fun. We like to pick on each other. Like we, maybe that's one of the things that happens is they, they have to inject some human DNA just to make them more pleasant to be around. Cause let's face it. Gray seem really boring. Right. <laughs> Dinner exactly. conversation. They're looking at right. the four fingers. Comedy show. Yeah. They can't open a Budweiser bottle that has the, you know, even if it's a twist off, it's right. It's tough <laughs> to play the banjo, you know. Deb, what I, do you actually, think? Yeah. I had a thought about, you know, I definitely think the DNA is of interest because we have so many experiencers saying that's being taken, essentially. But I thought of the one thing that we might be willing to trade for, and I don't think it's going to be Velcro. I think what? it is. I think it's going to be defense. If if we get told that they're going to defend us from asteroids or other visitors, I bet you that would be immediately an agreement. That I thought you were going to say spackle, yeah. like the what you would repair the holes in the wall. I thought spackle is what she was going to say, so I'm well, surprised. She there's an individual, defense. Patrick Jackson, who has talked about like there's of defense system. That's what he thinks the orbs are. Hmm. And it's really an interesting concept to me that we have possibly visitors like working to protect us. So well, that would, that's the only thing I could think of that would be worth it to trade for. So you just kind of hit on one of the topics in Chains of the Sea. There's a, a entity that lives on earth with us that we can't perceive the extraterrestrials come to earth at the same time the humans see it and they go and they try to figure it out and they end up trying to attack it but the aliens aren't the extraterrestrials are not here for us they're here to to interact with these other beings that they've had a relationship with for eons so it could be that we're protected as a byproduct of another unseen um, intelligence that's on earth that we get the benefit of protection just like if if uh more what are the little sucker fish that swim around on the giant sharks whatever those things are they're living the dream maybe that's what we are they, there's a big shark that we don't even realize that we're living on but we benefit from it mm -hmm. do you think that they're communicating with sea life um according to star trek they absolutely are <laughs> No, Love according that. to Dan Warren. I'm not interested in Bill Shatner <laughs> here. I'm sorry, Bill. I don't mean that doesn't mean we don't want to have you on the show. But go ahead. Oh man, I don't know if if they're talking to anything in the oceans. Um 
And th- I think you- they're probably talking to each other in the ocean. So that's probably where the conversation is. I, I think that they probably spend more time under the sea where we can't see them and they're protected from us than they do in our skies where we have a, at least a chance of seeing them. That totally makes sense. And I just want to throw this out there in case you didn't. And I'm just for, for, for Dan, I don't know if you saw the episode where uh, Dave Mason and Dave Altman from a tear in the sky were on. And um, Dave Mason said what they did is they, they, they were able to get recordings of native whale sounds and they were able to synthesize that with light patterns so that when they viewed the phenomenon, they would um, project these light patterns, which ostensibly were, were the sounds of whales at the phenomenon to say, look, we're trying to communicate with you, but we're doing so in a way that's uh, using a species that's not as developed as us and shows our, our, our humanity and our, our love of uh, other other beings that we share the planet with or other species i should say that's thinking outside of the box for sure it was I wouldn't have come I, up with that i was i was blown away when he told these guys can tell you when he said that i was just like oh my god i was i was for clint i was like linda richmond so, uh, <laughs> yeah no that's <laughs> like, pretty cool hell's that man well um, i we want to take some uh some audience questions then we have a few uh in the chat um dev i i, I started three I know we talked a little bit about um, the sort of reevaluation of our past, our ancient past. Kind of, we covered that one a little bit, but I like th- this question, Dan. So, do you believe the UFO phenomenon has something to do with death? Um, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm struggling to answer that one. Um, or how do you, maybe we can rephrase that. I mean, I don't know to what degree you're familiar with the, um, you know, the near-death experience accounts or the Bigelow, Bigelow Institute for Consciousness Studies and, you know, kind of what we're trying to glean from from the, those experiences. How much have you looked into, you know, out-of-body, near-death, uh, past life, all that kind of stuff? To, to a small extent, I haven't dove into that like uh, other topics, but I think what the, the overarching thing that I heard you bring up was consciousness. I do think there's a consciousness connection, what exactly it is. And if it ends at the point of the body's death, if we are just vessels, like um, Tom DeLong says, if we're receivers of consciousness instead of transmitters, that to me is uh, something that's very intriguing and could possibly be why uh, the UF, how we interact with the ufo phenomena maybe it's on a conscious level because when i I think lou elizondo said it tom DeLonge has said it a ufo is rep is the representation of the nexus between quantum physics and consciousness so death is part of consciousness um so i guess it does in 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 that perspective but but i i don't know man i if if consciousness ceases at the time of death then I wouldn't think they'd be too interested in us after the fact. Right. But why are there ghosts? Yeah. I, I, I have so many questions right here that we're, we're not going to get to tonight. But I want to take this one around the panel. I want to start with you, Dan, and then go to Debs, and then go to Nathan, please. But um, if you were to, to uh, go and, and arrive in Chris, Chris uh, Bledsoe's property today, and he basically said to you, uh, Dan, ask me anything. Um, I would probably say, uh, do you mind if I move in? 
And <laughs> no, you can't do it. That's a perfect cab response right there. But <laughs> I, I, I would have to grill him about the lady, like without without any doubt. I'd, I'd want to know more about that. The fact that it that she, he says she, and she said she was Hathor. Like you got to elaborate on that. Like what else did she tell you? That to me is amazing. Like, like I've said before, hearing him say that makes the 2020 time frame that we're living in now and the Egyptian pyramid era crash together in a beautiful way. Like if there is some way for me to link back to that era, which is my hands down favorite era in human uh, civilization, it's it's what I first became obsessed with. First, I became obsessed with looking and memorizing all the fish in the encyclopedia that we had at my house. Um, but then I started getting into the Egyptian civilization that, that lived to such a large level back then. And for, for that to be something that could be present in today in modern times, that would blow my mind. That would be awesome. That's what I would want to ask them about is tell me if they told you anything about Egypt. How do they build those pyramids? Is there oh, a void? yes, yes. I love it. That is a great question. And you know what? When I meet up with Dan this time, uh, when he comes to uh, Destin or Miramar, I'm going to talk less, keep my mouth shut more, and li or listen more and keep my mouth shut more. <laughs> so, Because you're fascinating. Deb, if you were to arrive on the Bledsoe property, which is certainly not out of the question yet, uh, what, what would you ask him? Um, I would like to talk to him more about the healing he has conveyed that he's gotten the gift of healing um, to from the phenomenon. So I would like to know more about that. Love it. Yeah, that that's was actually going to be mine too, the healing. I mean, that's really fascinating to me. Um, and I guess if I had to go with a second one, it would be, you know, he seemingly has, uh, you know, some ability to remote view or, you know, he has some kind of psi ability. So I would love to hear more about like, what he can do there yeah i've heard some not good uh premonitions that he's had maybe mm. i don't want to hear about maybe yeah, yeah. His bliss on some of that stuff right that, that that's another question that i want going to want to ask the panel if we end up having enough time um is about the 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 worst possible scenarios of interaction with the phenomenon but for me i think i would want to ask him the the time that he was in the craft and actually went for a ride what did they communicate to him what entered his mind that they either projected into his mind or made him feel like uh, i would want to just get into that experience about it was it tactile uh, uh visceral all these sorts of things so that that's what i would want to ask him um deb do you do you have something that you'd like to uh present to the the group um what do you mean by present? Do you mean like <laughs> the topic that you would like? Yes, to like, a, like a PowerPoint, maybe? Do you have one? Yeah, no, I was like, I was confused. I'm like, I'm not ready to present. <laughs> no, no, um, actually, a, you, I could have Nathan go if you want. I know, no, no. Actually, what I was going to do was tie in one question that um, our friend David had um, brought up that we sort of answered, but I'm going to change it a little bit. His question was, "Will the Which paradigm?" Which David? Um, David it's, it's David's Smithhurst. Oh, Dave Smethers. Okay, yeah. Thank okay. You. So he had said, "Will the paradigm shift UAP disclosure um, bring 
brings okay i think i needed a comma there will the paradigm shift uap disclosure brings lead to a reevaluation of our ancient past so we kind of covered that right so what i thought i'd ask and we can just kind of throw this out to everyone is what paradigm shift do you guys foresee in the near future when this does become more evident more disclosed do you think i personally i just have to say is i don't think society is going to fall apart i think they have a two-week attention span and they're going to move on what do you think do you want to take that first nathan no i'm going to give dan that one first <laughs> <laughs> give it oh, to the guest um i think there's going to be a uh, a palpable anger that brews from a very broad base in the United States in particular, that is going to not be a good outcome for the military industrial complex, um, which is justification in my mind for them wanting to keep it as a closely guarded secret. Um, I think the, the lack of trust that we're going to be able to put in our, um, well, I, I'll say it this way, the lack of trust that we're going to be able to put in our past leaders is going to be replaced by trust that we're going to have in the leaders that are pushing this effort now to get disclosure, to get the truth out to the populace. I think that's going to be a major shift. I think it's going to be less about me, red fighting blue, and more about who was telling the truth and who was in the dark or who was actively engaging in a, a, a cover-up. Yeah. I mean, I think it's going to be incredibly disruptive um, and, and not maybe in in some obvious ways, maybe some non-obvious ways, but I don't think, I think there's going to be a, a real period of, um, you know, kind of soul searching and re reckoning that we're going to have to do with, with the story um, in part, because I don't know that we're going to get all the answers. Um, it's really going to, in my opinion, at least set the table. It's going to give permission for people to take this seriously and then that validates a lot of experience that people have had uh, with a whole sort of multiplicity of, of phenomena. And, and then how do we, you know, how do we rank, prioritize that or, or kind of get some sort of larger learning at it? So some, some new disciplines will emerge, uh, some new religious practices will emerge, undoubtedly. Um, you know, I, I've mentioned this to DJ plenty of times, but and, and on the show as well. I mean, my my hope, my optimism is that you know, if, if, it, if it requires a societal shift in understanding, if it requires just enough of our human civilization to be ready to accept this reality, that that's a, a point at which whatever this is, or at least something, one of the groups in, that are in a part of this will emerge from that kind of uh, obscured place and take a more uh, a active engagement with us as a, as a civilization. I I'm not sure we can navigate this just on our own. In other words, I really think we need uh, some assistance from other another being or beings who have kind of been down this path before uh, and maybe are ready to assist us in navigating this kind of uncertain f future. I'm not sure we can handle it just with, with the tools that we have and with them, what, you know, then I use that in, in kind of the broadest sense uh, being in the sort of a, in the shadows in the way that they are now. We only have two minutes left. I think Deb is asking, do you think that that's going to happen, Nathan? 
I think that's what she's asking is, is will that be the, not to be the... not to the full degree? Yeah. Okay. So I think we're going to see uh, these kind of continued slow in, admit, admissions uh, and. You know, there will be these kind of voids that are created that will be filled with more speculation. I don't think we're going to get the full answers, and, and I think it's going to take quite a long time for us to get those answers unless we have that you know more active engagement from one of these parties. We only have about a minute left. Uh, we'll just go just a couple of minutes over just to get this last answer out, and then we'll start saying our goodbyes, and we'll start begging Dan to come back on again. Um, uh, we'll, begin, we'll begin the begging and writing checks, but um, the you know in my mind, I'm kind of like thinking about a belt sander, and if I have a hand belt sander, and depending upon what grid I use and how much pressure I apply to that piece of wood, I can really make a big impact on that piece of wood. But if I really want a fine piece of wood where when it's done, I can dress it, you know, with a good stain and, and, and perhaps a good, a good protective coating like a urethane, I might take a finer grain of, of, of sandpaper on that hand belt sander and just, just press it down gently and let it start to remove the material that's there that, that's blocking the true beauty of the wood. And I think that's the approach uh, that will happen. I think some of that will happen because the, the phenomenon has presented itself. And because of the fact that there are now reporting procedures and we saw one pilot the other night talk about it. We saw two pilots the other night say, you know what? We're not going to say it on talk to LA Center uh, radar control and tell them about it, but we're going to call that pilot afterwards, which takes a significant amount of effort for them to get to, 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 for, for them to figure out that guy's call sign, find out what company he's with, call that company, get his cell phone number and call that guy. Uh, and they did that. So one out of three right now reported it just the other night. So we're in a really good spot right now. And we're talking about subject matter experts that are seeing something five to 10,000 feet above flight level 470 or 47,000 feet um, that said that is flashing in a way that looks anomalous, not like the Navy ship Snoopy team video to me that I can't, I can't glean anything from looking at that. But when they talk about uh, an aircraft at that altitude going into a bank and taking half the state of Ohio to make one revolution, then but yet these things are seeing them doing tight circles coming right over the windscreen and circling above that craft. Now I know that the phenomenon is showing what it can do, showing its wares, saying, look at me, look at this, just like it did to those Tucson helicopters kind of thing. So, yeah, I think the phenomenon is going to play a role in this, but I think from the, pers the human perspective, we need to, Put that belt sander down with a fine grit sandpaper, right, Dan? And then just put a gentle amount of pressure. And then just let it start to remove that old, dead material that is covering up the beauty of that wood and eventually we'll get there. 220 grit at least. There uh, you go. 400 if you really want it to be smooth. So uh, 
we got to, you know, that's about, this went by so fast, Dan. We're like, we're going to take an hour and a half today. Well, we took an hour and a half, and I still have a whole bunch of questions. We were going to get into exorcism and Catholicism. We were going to get into Coral Castle with you. So, uh, yeah. Edwardly Scalden. I haven't ever been down there. Have you been down there? I've not been there, and I'm so sad because I did go to Homestead within days of me retiring from the Air Force. I, I drove there, spent a week there, and then departed to move to Brazil from there. But uh, but I, I want to go. And I, oh, and yeah. So l- let's make this pitch now. Dan, will you come back on with us? We'll have, like, another fireside chat, have another guest, and, and we'll just drag you right into that. Yeah, I'm, I'm game. Count me in. I'll bring a log. It, it's an honor, man, to have you on. Um, it really is. Uh, you, you're such amazing conversation. As, as much, there's, I, I can't think of anybody we've, we've had on this better conversation in the two or three times that you've been on with us, including before I even had Nathan and had Calling All Beings, you came on with me um, and, <laughs> and made conversation. I really appreciate that. Um, so with that, let me pass it over to uh, Debs. I just wanted to commend you for all your work. You know, you do such deep research and you find a way to make it like really palpable for people in the, such a short period of time. And then and then the fact that you share it with us on other forums is much appreciated because some of us are too old for TikTok. But <laughs> I just yeah, thank you so much. I, I'm very grateful for what you do. Uh, it's 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 fun to do it like i'm a goal-oriented person so for me to dig into the research and then have a pro a, a goal in mind a product at the end of it it's a reward for myself it's what helps keep me going and i'm just shocked and amazed that other people enjoy it as well and, and i couldn't be happier about it it's it's great to have people appreciate the work that you put into something like this and I, I'm glad some people get value out of it. So I appreciate you appreciating it. Yeah, absolutely echo that. Uh, Dan, you're, you're the real deal. Um, you know, you've always been incredibly gracious and, and kind to uh, at least in my interactions with you. And, and I think, you know, you, you there's always audience. tomorrow. There's always tomorrow. We could definitely change it uh, <laughs> if we want, given what's going on. Uh, but you know huge props to your your work ethic on this and and your eye for things you know the way that you break things down and communicate uh, the, these topics in a really easy to digest manner i mean that is not easy to do you make it look easy uh and just you know we, i can't thank you enough for doing that and I'm, I'm really happy to count you as a you know as a colleague in this space of conversation and uh looking forward to future conversations that we're going to have together all right. Well, I appreciate you guys having me on and we'll definitely do this again in the future. And I'll be hanging out with DJ at a beach in Florida here soon. So uh, we'll, you'll see a picture of us on Twitter, I'm sure. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, I'm, I'm so honored and so blessed and I, I can't wait to see. You. I'm headed to the UK next week where I'm going to see the aforementioned David Smethers and Vinny uh, Disclosure Team and, and Dan, Davey Johnston, Graham, uh, Man, Marky O'Boyle is going to be there. Uh, Maxie McCabe, 
So there's going to be a slew of our friends that are going to get together. And I just wish I could bring all of you with me. That on That's that. one of the biggest benefits to being on UFO Twitter is you have relationships around the globe. Yes. Like I have them in Australia. I have them in Europe. It's crazy that we have this ability to network amongst each other on a common topic like this, it's which is one blessing. of my, my hopes for the UFO phenomenon is it will bring people together. I think it'll be that it'll be that way for a while, but and then we'll fight amongst each other just like we always do. But I'm yes. hoping that it'll help us uh, have come a moment together. of reflection. Yeah, come together on that. I also want to thank Jules of the Wood. Uh, Dan mentioned her. Uh, we've all mentioned her. Jules of the Wood. There's no E in there, uh, probably because she ran out of characters. But um, she's a wonderful, beautiful person. We're we're very thankful that she's uh, decided to help us out with the chat uh, because we certainly needed it. Uh, and Dan, yeah, I'll, I'll be getting with you uh, in short order so that when we do another one of these, uh, we can just add you in there because you're just so damn good. It's ridiculous. So, <laughs> so for uh, Dan, for Debs, for Money Nathan, this is DJ and Cab. Give us a like. Give us a subscribe. Thank you for all the love that you've given us and made this so much fun for us to do this. I thank all of you. Hashtag UFO Twitter. So peace out. One love. We'll see you down the road. And just like Dan, we're always wondering what's up around the bend. Peace. See you guys.